Good morning and welcome to 5 at 8. It's Monday, September 4th, 2023. And with me here is Linda Carlisle. I'm Mark Overman. And here are the day's top stories. In this episode, we'll talk about the destruction of the Kakovka Dam in Ukraine, the appointment of Mark Thompson as the new CEO of CNN, the alarming rise in child labor worldwide, the potential strike by the United Auto Workers Union, and the conclusion of the Crew-6 mission aboard the International Space Station. Story number one. According to the New York Times, the destruction of the Kakovka Dam in Ukraine by Russian forces has caused immense devastation to the environment, economy, and lives of civilians. The dam's explosion led to epic floods and a subsequent drought, resulting in the disappearance of the Kakovka Reservoir, one of Europe's largest lakes. The loss of the reservoir has had a profound impact on the fishing industry, leaving families without livelihoods and no hope for recovery for many years. The destruction of the dam has also caused a drinking water crisis, an irrigation crisis for farmers, and a significant loss of wildlife and bird habitats. The economic losses are estimated to be at least $2 billion, with the full extent of the damage yet to be determined. The Russian occupation of the area has prevented any efforts to rebuild the dam and restore the region. How shocking is this, Linda? The magnitude of the destruction due to the deliberate destruction of the Kakovka Dam in Ukraine is just mind-boggling. It's not just about the immediate flooding and loss of life, but the long-term impact on the economy and the environment is something we cannot ignore. I agree, Mark. It's a devastating situation. But I think we also need to focus on the implications of such actions. This is not just an attack on infrastructure, it's an environmental warfare strategy. The psychological impact on the people and the irreversible damage done to the natural habitats is incalculable. This has broader implications for future global conflict. I see your point, Linda. But let's not forget that warfare, unfortunately, has always had environmental impacts. Think about the Vietnam War or the Gulf War. While I agree that the weaponization of the environment is a disturbing trend, it is not completely unprecedented. Yes, Mark. But the frequency and severity seem to be escalating. And the fact that this is happening in Ukraine, a country already strained by war, is particularly concerning. It's not just about the past. We need to think about the future. How do we protect vulnerable regions and what disaster-resilient strategies can be put in place to mitigate these risks? The focus should be on prevention, protection, and preparedness. But we also need to remember that there are international laws and conventions on environmental warfare, like the NMOD Convention. These need to be enforced and respected by all nations. Agreed, Mark. But it's evident that these laws are not always respected or enforced. It's a complex issue, and we need to continue this conversation, explore the historical context, and propose potential solutions. And most importantly, we need to shed light on the human cost of such actions. Story number two. The Guardian reports that Mark Thompson, former director general of the BBC and former CEO of the New York Times, has been appointed as the new chief executive of CNN. Thompson's task will be to revitalize the struggling news network, which has experienced a decline in profits and ratings. With his successful track record in turning around media organizations, including increasing paid subscribers at the New York Times, Thompson is expected to face challenges in adapting CNN to the changing media landscape and competing with streaming platforms. 
His main challenge will be reconfiguring CNN for a streaming world while upholding its journalistic integrity and addressing the rise of disinformation in politics. When you look at CNN's situation, it's clear they're in a tough spot. Profits have dropped, advertisers are pulling back, and ratings are down. It's a classic case of a business struggling to adapt to a fast-changing environment. But hey, they're not throwing in the towel. They've brought in Mark Thompson, a guy with a track record of turning things around. Remember what he did at the New York Times? He transformed it into a digital powerhouse. Thompson's approach at the New York Times was indeed innovative. He expanded their offerings beyond just the news, tapping into lifestyle habits and creating a sort of one-stop shop for users. Now, he faces the challenge of replicating that success at CNN, which is a different beast altogether. It's a 24-hour news network that needs to fit into a streaming world. Right, Linda. And the key will be understanding how consumer behavior has changed. People don't just turn on their streaming platforms and watch whatever's on. They're more intentional. They're looking for specific content. And that's where CNN Plus stumbled, right? They launched this standalone streaming service, but it didn't resonate with viewers. To truly compete in the streaming world, CNN will need to rethink its model. Thompson has a huge task ahead of him, but his experience at the New York Times shows that he isn't afraid to innovate. More importantly, he has shown a commitment to truth and democratic values, which are more important than ever in the current climate of strategic lying in politics. It's not just about making money. It's about maintaining the integrity of journalism and standing up for truth. The news business is evolving, and CNN, like all news organizations, must find a way to stay relevant and profitable while upholding these core journalistic values. Story number three. According to the BBC, the head of the International Labour Organization, ILO, has warned that the future of millions of children is at risk as more are being pulled out of school and forced into work. Gilbert Hongbo, Director General of the ILO, stated that there has been a regression in regions worldwide due to global economic problems, and urgent action is needed to address the issue. Data from the UN shows that around 160 million children were subjected to child labor in early 2020, and progress to end it had stalled for the first time in 20 years. Rising living costs and inflation, exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic, have pushed families to resort to child labor, including the worst forms such as sexual exploitation. The rise in child labor is seen across low-, middle-, and high-income countries, affecting sectors like agriculture, mining, and construction. Poverty is identified as the root cause, and solutions should focus on education, job creation, and cracking down on illicit industries. Governments are urged to take immediate action. Can you believe this, Linda? What a heartbreaking situation it's turning out to be. Child labor is a pressing issue that we, as a global community, have been grappling with for decades. And now it seems like the situation is only getting worse. This spike in child labor that we're seeing, it's not an isolated issue. It's deeply interconnected with the economic challenges we're facing globally. The rise in inflation, the cost of living, and the impacts of major events like the COVID pandemic and the Ukrainian war. These factors are driving more and more families into desperation, forcing children to work in dire conditions. Yes, Mark, it's a complex issue, isn't it? These aren't just numbers. These are children's lives that are being impacted. When we talk about children forced into labor, we're talking about the loss of childhood, the loss of education, 
and potentially the loss of a bright future. This situation in Lebanon and Kenya that the article mentions, it's just devastating. Yeah, Linda, it's tough to swallow. And seeing how the war in Ukraine is exacerbating the situation, it's a reminder that our actions have far-reaching consequences. The rising food and energy prices due to the conflict have made survival more challenging for families already living on the edge. It's a grim reminder that we're all interconnected in this global economy. And it's important to remember that child labor isn't restricted to lower-income countries. The Director General of the International Labor Organization points out that it's being seen in low, middle, and even high-income countries. It's a universal issue that needs immediate attention. Right, Linda. And it's not just about addressing the symptoms. We need to tackle the root cause, which is poverty. We need to create more jobs, improve education access, and clamp down on these illicit industries exploiting children. It's not a one-size-fits-all solution, but a collective effort from governments, international organizations, and NGOs. And while the situation is indeed worrisome, it's vital to remain optimistic and believe in the potential of solutions. Governments need to step up, and we must keep advocating for the protection of children's rights, for their education, and for their future. Story number four. In a report from the New York Times... It is stated that the United Auto Workers, UAW Union, and Detroit automakers are facing a potential strike as their contract deadline approaches. UAW President Sean Fain has warned members to be prepared for a walkout if their demands for improved wages and benefits are not met. A strike could have a significant economic impact on the Midwest and affect the profits of General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis. The negotiations come at a time when automakers are transitioning to electric vehicles, which require fewer workers. The outcome of the contract will determine the future of auto workers and the industry. President Biden has expressed support for the UAW but has not received their endorsement for re-election due to concerns over the union's share of EV-related jobs. While an agreement is still possible before the contract expires on September 14th, a strike seems increasingly likely, as reported by the New York Times. So, Linda, it seems like things are heating up in the auto industry. The United Auto Workers Union is ready to go on strike if their demands aren't met, and that could have a significant impact on the economy, especially in Midwestern states. The fact that a strike could lead to an economic jolt across several states is alarming. But this isn't just about the workers or the companies in question. It's also about the ripple effect this could have on local economies, supply chains, and even the national GDP. Yeah, and with the transition to electric vehicles, the stakes are even higher now. The way I see it, it's a pivotal point for the automakers and the workers. They're not just bargaining for wages and benefits, but also their place in an evolving industry. That's a great point, Mark. This negotiation isn't happening in a vacuum. It's taking place amidst a significant shift in the industry towards electric vehicles. And as we know, EVs require fewer workers to assemble. This could mean job losses or changes in job roles, which adds another layer of complexity to the negotiations. Right. And let's not forget the political angle here. President Biden has expressed his support for UAW and has even named a White House liaison to the union and the automakers. It's clear the administration sees this as a crucial issue. Indeed, the government's stance could significantly influence the outcome of these negotiations. But at the same time, the UAW has withheld an endorsement of President Biden's re-election bid, partly due to the uncertainty of EV-related job creation with federal subsidies. It's a delicate balance. Absolutely. 
And, you know, this isn't the first time we've seen this. Strikes have been a part of the labor landscape for a long time. But what's interesting here is the global shift to electric vehicles and how that's influencing the negotiations. Yes, history does seem to have a way of repeating itself, albeit in different contexts. And the outcome of this could set a precedent for other industries facing similar transitions. It's a complex situation, and it'll be fascinating to see how it unfolds. Story number five. According to CNN International, four astronauts from the Crew-6 mission, a joint effort between NASA and SpaceX, have concluded their six-month stay aboard the International Space Station. They boarded the Crew Dragon capsule and departed the space station, heading for a splashdown off the coast of Florida. Despite the recent impact of Hurricane Adalia, CNN International reports that the astronauts are expected to safely land. The crew spent their time overseeing various science and tech projects and also hosted the Axiom Mission 2 crew, which included paying customers. CNN International states that one astronaut, Frank Rubio, who has spent nearly 350 days on the space station, will soon break the record for the longest time a U.S. astronaut has spent in microgravity. How about that, Linda? The Crew-6 astronauts just wrapped up their six-month stint at the International Space Station. You gotta admit, the work they've done up there is nothing short of amazing. Over 200 science and tech projects, three spacewalks. It's a testament to human ingenuity and the power of cooperation in space. Oh, absolutely, Mark. The work they've done is commendable. But we also need to consider the risks and uncertainties involved in these missions. Take, for instance, the situation with astronaut Frank Rubio. His return trip was delayed by six months due to a coolant leak in his spacecraft. And now, he's on the verge of breaking the record for the longest time a U.S. astronaut has spent in microgravity. It's both an achievement and a reminder of the unexpected challenges that can arise. Well, that's the nature of exploration, Linda. Unforeseen problems are bound to crop up. But look at the bright side. Frank's extended stay allowed him to contribute even more to the ISS mission. And speaking of challenges, these folks are set to splash down off the coast of Florida in the aftermath of Hurricane Idalia. Now that's one heck of a homecoming. Mark, I get your point, but we can't overlook the fact that these unforeseen problems can have serious implications on the astronauts' physical and mental well-being. And while it's true that they've been monitoring the impact of Hurricane Idalia for the splashdown, it doesn't eradicate the added risk factor. It's crucial that we continue to develop safer and more reliable tech to mitigate such risks. I'll give you that, Linda. Safety should always be a priority. But let's not forget the strides we've made in commercializing space. This Crew-6 team hosted the Axiom Mission 2 crew, including paying customers. That's a huge step towards making space more accessible to ordinary folks, don't you think? Yes, Mark, it's indeed a significant development. However, we also need to ask ourselves, at what cost? Are we risking the sanctity of space exploration by allowing it to become a luxury tourism spot for those who can afford it? It's a delicate balance and one that needs careful consideration. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.